0: This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. To receive a free copy of Bob Buford's classic book, Halftime, Moving from Success to Significance, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead.
1: All right, today, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast, and we're going to be talking about today a topic that I, I really believe, I know, is going to not only help you, but help uh, people I know that are in your world, that are going through stuff, and we have Steve Lawton on today. Steve, thank you for making the time being here on the podcast.
2: My pleasure, John. Thank you for having me.
1: Now, uh, Steve has a. In guys, don't hold this against them, uh, but he's an Aggie. <laughs> and I noticed that on the video, you have your ring on. My business partner is yep. an Aggie. You gig him, gig, him. Right? You gig him. <laughs> So you got your bachelor's and your master's in mechanical engineering. You got an MBA. Uh, you spent 27 years uh, as an engineer for the astronaut office at NASA to an executive at Dell. Uh, in, in, incredible career. So here's a little known story about myself, uh, Steve, I was a, a Navy fighter pilot and I had applied to go to test pilot school cause I wanted to take the path to get, to go into the astronaut program. Yeah. And then I was actually playing softball and I got injured. I had some nerve damage in my eye. This was back in 94, and couldn't continue on that path. So love the oh. fact that you actually got to work at NASA. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I got
2: to work with the astronauts every day. I actually applied to the astronaut corps um, as well. I did. I I think I provided more comic relief than anything else. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I did apply because that was that was one of my dreams too. But it was wasn't to be. But well, I'm talk a about knight. a
1: pool of crazy yeah. talented people. I, wow. I heard somewhere that one of every ten thousand people that applies actually gets to.
2: Yeah, you know, I think that's about right. Yeah. Be
1: in that role. So, yeah, and it's some pretty... But now, we do share something in common. You, you're you the author of a book. It's called Head First, A Crash Course in Positivity. And you talk about how your attitude... You, you had an accident, similar to myself. It was skiing up in Breckenridge. Should have been fatal. And oh. it was a long recovery. And you've been able... You know, you've shared a lot with people about your mindset... Um, your faith, your positivity, and how not only that got you through... Your accident, but how that allowed you, and how it can help other people achieve better incomes for both—I mean, not incomes, outcomes. Yeah. Probably yeah. incomes too, <laughs> but outcomes, right, for themselves, their families, their organizations, and right. you've been able to speak around the world and on radio and TV and uh, TEDx and, and all you know all kinds of things like that. But um, you've been married and have uh, two teenage kids and. I understand what it's like to go through something like this cuz you know we went through this uh 5 years ago. But I'd love for you to just, you know, leading up to that accident, maybe in in you know just share about, you know, some of your your life and your journey and what was going on leading up to this life-changing event.
2: Yeah, so um my life I would say had has always I I feel like I've lived a blessed life um from my upbringing um, comfortable um, upbringing. I have a wonderful wife of, of 27 years that I met uh, while at A and M, and we've had a wonderful life together. We have these two teenage children um, that are great uh, kids. Uh, my career has always been um, I've been doing something that I enjoy, uh, and it, it, it I've lived a, um, a lived a wonderful life, um, and going into this into this event um, you know I think it's a, it's a part of um, I, I, it's a part of the story I tell when I when I had the accident and uh, if, if you don't mind I just want to kind of I want to dive into that uh, real quick if I can and kind of finish this are you still there John
1: oh that was weird um, oh. I was talking. Uh,
2: well, oh, okay. sorry. Do, you want, do you want me to continue?
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you, yeah, you said okay. you wanted to share something and I was like, yeah, absolutely, yeah. please. So. Okay,
2: okay. All right. So um, when I had the, the skiing accident um, and again, the skiing accident just real quickly was um, March of 2014, March 9th, 2014 on a spring break trip with the family um, in Breckenridge, Colorado, day two and the first run of the day. I came out of both skis in the center of the run. Uh, it's a groomed a black diamond run, so very steep. Slid down the run. At the bottom, the run turned. I went straight and went headfirst into a tree. Uh, GPS app on my phone um, was re- recording. Um, it's called Ski Tracks. Records where you are and how fast you're going on the mountain. So I was going 45 miles an hour when I hit the tree.
0: Oh
1: my word! Uh,
2: and uh, I should have. I should have. Um, I'll go through the injuries in a second, but 45 miles an hour into a tree should have killed me. Uh, and well, somehow and you were
1: wearing I, a helmet. I saw your helmet. You shattered yes, yes, a absolutely. ski helmet.
2: Yeah, it was, it was, I promise you I wouldn't be talking to you today if I wasn't wearing that. So one of the lessons to to everybody that hears this is one of the requirements is if you've heard this and you're a skier, you have to wear a helmet now. I wore it for 15 years and didn't need, need it until this one day but I can promise you I wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. But I got to, um, uh, ski patrol took me down. I passed out at the bottom. They flew me to Denver. And um, when I got into Denver, I was um, as close to dead as you can be. Um, my wife and brother-in-law, there was no room in the helicopter for my wife to, to, to travel with me. So she had to drive to Denver, like a two-hour drive or so. And when she got there, there was a miscommunication with the um, emergency room attendant, and she he said, basically, have a seat in the waiting room, and you can we can get you a private waiting room if you'd like, uh, but the chaplain will be here to, to talk to you, oh, boy. and she's walking to her oh, seat. Oh, my God, God,
1: I can't imagine why
2: Why? Was it, why does the chaplain need to talk to me? And so she started trying to hold it together, and one of the things she thought of um, uh, that she told me about later, um, several... Of like several weeks later, I thought was really funny, but it was a great um, uh, description of me and the attitude that I brought. in kind of goes back to the life that I had. And she, she's. And she thought to herself. She said, "Man, if Steve's dead. He's going to be pissed." <laughs> so, <laughs> and so I, I, I could, I could tell you, I, I have no recollection of bright lights or anything on the other side at that moment. Um, um, but I can see myself standing at the pearly gates, just making an argument, saying, "No, I'm not done, man. Send me back down. I need to finish. I got. I'm having a good time. There can be this. Like, just send me back." Um, and so I don't know if that happened, but I, but I could, <laughs> I could see myself making that argument. Um, but you know, you were telling me before we got started about when God, God entered your. Um, experience when you had your accident uh, essentially right away. Yeah. For me it happened uh, seven days after the accident was when I had a profound, um, similar profound experience.
1: Well, sure I'd love to hear more about that. Okay.
2: Um, so um, day, uh, day six <clears throat> of the accident, I had a breathing tube in because so I collapsed. So the injuries I had, I had a severe head injury, I had a bleeding between the skull and the brain but I did not break my skull. I had bleeding um, inside of the brain. Um, I bled into my left eye, um, damaged the nerve, that controls where my eyes point, bled into my left ear. Um, I collapsed both lungs, tore a blood vessel behind my sternum that bled into my heart cavity so my heart couldn't beat properly, and I broke 11 bones. I broke my sternum in several places. I broke three ribs, my left arm, and six vertebrae broke my neck in two places, and my back in four places. So, just to have. And
1: did you have any of, spinal cord injuries at all, Steve?
2: No, I did not. There was no spinal cord injuries. It's amazing. The only um, nerve damage that was completely healed now was in my left left hand, and that they think that was from uh, the in- injury to my arm, not my not my spine. So, mm. six broken vertebrae, no spinal um, cord damage. So, just. I mean, to say I'm lucky is, is, is an understatement. I feel like, uh, I really do feel like I'm a, a walking miracle because if um, you saw me walking down the street, you, you'd have no idea that this ever happened to me. I've essentially fully recovered. Um, but the, um, the, the time that God entered um, uh, profoundly this, this, my recovery was on uh, day seven. So day six, it, my lungs had healed enough that the breathing tube was removed and on day seven <clears throat> or and the doctors and nurses told me at the time the breathing tube was out that the, the healing of my lungs was now up to me um, and that i had to do work now um, do these breathing exercises in order for my lungs to continue to heal and what they wanted there was still blood inside my lungs and they said if i don't get that blood out um, by doing these breathing exercises that it could get infected. I could get pneumonia. And if I got pneumonia, I would, I would die. Mm -hmm. Um, doing these breathing exercises, um, you had, um, you know, damaged, hurt your ribs as well. So I don't know if they had you do these things, but they probably did. But breathing exercises where you breathe into a device called a spirometer, take several deep breaths. Um, uh, and at the time, you know, taking a deep breath with the broken broken ribs and broken sternum meant all of that stuff was moving. And so it hurt.
1: Yeah, that's not Tremendous.
2: fun. It's terrible. So I was like, and they're telling me I need to do this. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, no, I don't think so. So my lungs have healed pretty well without me doing any of this stuff. And I'm just going to let them keep going because that hurts a lot. Um, now, day seven is when I believe God spoke to me. And what I heard was, Steve, if you want to live and see your kids again, you need your lungs. And if you want your lungs, you're going to have to fight for them. And then it was, it was gone. That's all I heard. But I, I knew what it meant. It meant doing those breathing exercises. And so from that point forward, but
1: the reason um, that I'm guessing that this was such a challenge for you is because like after my accident, I had the four broken ribs and I had a, um, mine was pretty mild. I actually had, uh, punctured the lung, but it did not collapse. And that was so painful. And I can't imagine if you even had a, the broken sternum and more broken ribs and people that have had these yeah. kind of accidents, or you've been in this, right? You're the sometimes in, in your, you're in the hospital. So I'm guessing that, you know, nope. you, even if they give you Dilaudid and all morphine <laughs> and all these other things, it it doesn't matter
2: yeah no it it still hurts less like
1: <laughs> so for you so for you to yeah to do these things, I remember once uh kind of a funny story that the nurse comes in I'm in my recovery room or in i c u and she asks, goes, would you like a bolus? I'm like, well, what's that? She goes, like, you know, extra morphine. I'm like, yes, I sure would. <laughs> and she said, and, I, and she goes, do you know how I know that? Because, you know, they give you on the drip and they give you that button that you can push. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it only gives you a measured dose and it won't give you more than a little bit extra every 15 minutes. And she says, yeah, we, well, you know, it, the system counts it. And in the last uh, 35 minutes, you've hit that button 81 times. <clears> oh, <throat> I'm like, <laughs> so, you know, you know, uh, imagine, you know, for you to heal your lungs, uh, you know, that you're going to have to go through literally mind numbing, excruciating yeah. pain. You're you're going to make, you know, that to, to get better, you're going to have to make That's it right. worse for yourself. That's exactly
2: right. Yeah. So for me with this stuff, it was, um, it was exactly what you described. And every time I... Did these breathing exercises, and after God spoke to me, I I I did it. And you could, you could argue, you could say um, that it, I was religious about it since it was God telling me. But every hour, my wife says more frequently, I did it um, sometimes. Um, but I would do those breathing exercises, and the reason it was so painful for me was um, I would do the breathing exercises, you know, on time, and I would do it uh, as 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 well as I could, um, and so every time i did those breathing exercises it would expand my lungs a little bit um, but it would also loosen up some of the blood in the bottom of my lungs and within a minute of doing those breathing exercises i would start feeling that um, loose blood in the bottom of my lungs and i would have a violent coughing fit and like every single time i knew i'd do the breathing exercises and a violent coughing fit is coming within a minute and the violent coughing fit with the broken sternum and broken ribs i mean it was excruciating and you couldn't stop coughing. Once you started, you were going to cough until whatever was down there came up. Um, and it was, it was horrible, but I did that like every single hour. And I kept going back to the nurses, like this I'd show them when I was coughing up and I'm like, this can't be good. And I said, no, that's exactly, do you want that to stay in there? Like, well, I guess not, but are you sure? Um, and so, uh, <clears throat> but Every, every hour I did it. Now two days later, and this, this is kind of part of the story why I, I say with confidence that my attitude literally saved my life. My attitude was because of what, what um, God told me and what God had enabled me to, to be able to do. Um, but um, two days later, um, I was near, my lungs um, had healed to the point where I was almost completely off of oxygen. Um, I could take the oxygen tube out of my nose for part of the day, um, two days later, and the doctors and nurses were were thrilled with the pace of progress that I'd made with my lungs. And all of a sudden, late that night on day nine, after dinner, I started experiencing shortness of breath. And all of a sudden, I couldn't catch my breath anymore, put the oxygen um, tube back in, start turning up the oxygen, turn it into a mask crank up the oxygen to maximum, and it's like like still continuing to get worse, and it was getting worse quickly. And so the doctors and nurses were scrambling to try to figure out what was um, going wrong, and they took some more x-rays, and they discovered that I was um, experiencing a bilateral pulmonary embolism, Mm -hmm. which is where the the blood in your lung, both lungs, starts to clot and starts to block off the blood flow through your lungs and through your body. And it's a complication that'll kill you very quickly if not treated and diagnosed. And I'm, I'm convinced that if I hadn't have done those breathing exercises uh, and healed my lungs, I wouldn't have had had the lung capacity that gave the doctors enough time to diagnose and treat that. And so that's why I'd say um, with confidence that um, my attitude and God literally saved my life.
1: Well, yeah, you have this going on, you have a head injury, you have 11 broken bones, and I know mm. that early part of that healing, you know, your wife's, you know, wondering, you know, is she going to be in the role of a caregiver? Right. Um, you're, you're thinking about the future in, in, there's been a lot of people that have, you know, been through adversity, not just, you know, an accident like this, but other kinds of adversity where, where in the present, everything just feels like the foundation is shifted. And, yeah. you know, as you move forward, you know, through this, if you can kind of bring yourself back to those, you know, those early moments, what, you know, what did you do to kind of start getting a a handle on, you talked about your attitude and being positive and having hope. So what is it, some things that you did that allowed you to kind of keep moving forward in a way that didn't pull you down into an area of you know, despair or feeling like a victim or just really, you know, that place of negativity that I think can right. really suck out our, our will to, you know, do what we need to do.
2: Yeah, so for me, I, I'll answer that in a couple couple different ways, because this is a lot of what, the, what the, the book that I wrote was about was, um, for me, in that moment, um, I it never, you know, I find this bizarre now when I think back on it, but it never occurred to me that I wouldn't recover completely. Um, and I don't know how it never occurred to me, but it was like, what occurred to me was, okay, this is going to suck. This is going to be a lot of pain, a lot of misery, a lot of hard work. Um, but you're going to get, you're going to get better. Um, and that was my, um, thinking that was my goal from the very beginning was I'm going to recover a hundred percent. And that was mm-hmm. a goal I set very early on. It was just, this is just the way it's going to be. Um, and I never Gave myself the opportunity to think about anything different. Um, my wife, who's um, I, other than just suffer, other than suffering the pain, her job was way harder than mine was. Yeah, um, I agree. But she was she was positive through this whole thing as well. And there was only one time that I saw her cry, and it was when I had the bilateral pulmonary embolism and I was at, back into ICU, breathing tube back in. That was a big kind of setback for us and took us a a day basically. Um, to to kind of mentally recover from that. But the whole time that she was there, um, she was positive with me. Um, She never um, got me thinking about what could be or or issues or why me. And anybody that came and visited, she basically told them all the same thing. Before they came in the room, she would stop them outside the hall, you know, outside the room and talk to them about here's what you're going to see. Um, so they wouldn't have a state of shock when they walked into the room. Um, and I said, and here's what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about the future. We're gonna talk about um, you know, the recovery process, um, but we're not gonna talk about what ifs. We're not gonna say, well, man, what if you can't walk the same and we have to go make changes to your house or install, th- who's gonna go install this or that in your, in your house? We're not gonna talk about any of those what ifs. We're not gonna say how terrible this is. It was just, this is the way it was, and we're just talking about moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, my wife was super positive. Everybody that came and visited was positive. The hospital, I think, also um, aspired or um, participated in this posit- positive mindset because um, there was nobody there talking about, at least to me, about the what-ifs. Um, they might have done it to Deanna, but they did never did it uh, with me. But it was always just being positive um, and moving moving forward.
1: You know, and I think that's a, a great point too, because I, I remember I had, I think I literally had seven IVs in my arms, and I knew <laughs> I, and they uh, had multiple, some major surgeries scheduled coming up. And uh, I don't remember this because I had post traumatic amnesia uh, because of mm-hmm. the accident, the head injury, and being in ICU yeah. for so long. But my business partner said, Do you know you were, you texted me after being in the hospital, just a couple days, like, Hey, I'll be back at work in a couple of weeks, you know, make sure that, you know, Hey, you know, check on this project for me. Like I was convinced that this was going to be quick and it ended up being two and a half years for me yeah. to get back to work. But I, I think, you know, that hope and, you know, at my accident, God said to me, I am going to, I'm going to heal you and use this for my glory. Now the healing was not what I, uh, you know, it wasn't like, boom, you're better. Uh, right. but like right. each step of the way, he was faithful in making sure that I could take that next step. And I think it was in the, you know, that duration, that two and a half years, and it's still been, it's been five years. I still have some limitations, but it's what I've learned about myself, uh, my relationship with, with him, uh, who I've become through this is actually what shaped me and facilitated, what I now get to do, which is which I honestly would not take back the the journey over the last five mm-hmm. years, John
2: uh, I, oh, go ahead go ahead,
1: no go ahead I was
2: gonna say like what what you said I think is so true and it re- relates uh, re- it resonates with me so much because um you know God could have for you and for me just you know, snapped his fingers and, and cured us if he wanted to, you yeah,
1: know, like Lazarus um, but, rise and come out, right. It could have been like, Hey, we're, we're good to go. We're done. But that wasn't what he, what his
2: plans were for us. And I believe that a part of, like I had to go through this journey so that I would have this story to tell for, to help others and to help the rest of the world go through, you know, something similar or, or hopefully something less, um, painful than what you and I went through. But I think going through this um, gives you and me the ability to to tell these stories and share these learn these lessons and then share them with others. And and I think that's what his what his bidding what his bidding is for me and, and for you is to is to is to spread the word through what we've learned and, and help other people. And so that's that's what I feel like I'm doing. And so what she says like is, resonated with me completely
1: yeah now steve i know there was times when when being positive being hopeful it was it was hard or you find yourself man that's not where i am my mindset right now in this moment you know as other people are there struggling kind of you know in those moments right now even maybe even listening what what are some things you'd share with them
2: sure so um a a couple things so the first thing i would say is um uh like you and you say you and, you know you're not sure you would trade everything that you went through um, because of what you learned and where you are where you are today yeah. and I would say the same thing is true for me and the, the, the way I talk about this is like everything we've all been through um, struggles in our lives and through challenges and through traumas and through pain and suffering and when we're in the middle of it we're not, we're not necessarily thinking about how we're going to go use this or what we're learning from it. We're in the middle of the, of the suffering and the pain. But it's not until we're, we're through it and on the other side when we look back and go, man, I learned a ton in the middle of that. And it's not until you're out the other side when you look back on it and really um, get a good perspective on the lessons um, that you learned and the things that you can do differently and the way I describe it to people is, is you're the person that you are today and you're doing the things that you're doing today because of what you went through and those the, that suffering that you suffered early in your life was all things that you needed to go through to prepare yourself for what you're doing right now. So even though you may not appreciate the next challenge or setback that you're getting, you may not appreciate it. None of us like it when it happens to us. Um, but just know that those times of suffering and challenge and change are times when we are learning something new those are the times of the, the our biggest personal growth is when we're going through those uh, uh going through those problems
1: yeah and i think also you know what also helped me sometimes to keep that attitude was also just being real with myself with some of the emotions you know as the as the time dragged on and there was yet another surgery yeah. and there was the uncertainty you know also just being real with the fact that hey I'm 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 not happy with the situation man I'm I'm yeah. angry I'm you know I got to tell you I was yeah. mad at God because of I mean I had 25 surgeries over you know those first 2 years and it just it just felt like the progress was just glacial sure. but I yeah. think finally I, he knew that You know, I was frustrated, but I also think sharing that with him and with others and being able to talk through some of those things that you bottle up, allow you to get to that place that's so much healthier. And I would just encourage people that are going through this, don't do it from this negative way about complaining, but I think just sharing our feelings so that we can have people almost bump us back on that path into a mindset that's going to serve us so much better. Because if we get into that area of dwelling on I think because I I, I was there a few times, you know, of being a victim or why me or why is this happening? I got to tell you, that made it even harder for me to actually have the mindset or focus on hope or focus on, you know, the, the family that's serving me in a way that that helped me heal. And yeah. so th- those were times I think, looking back on it, that I learned from that it was actually when I let that attitude drop and let in some of those kind of those base feelings that kind of slowed yeah. me down from actually re- probably recovering.
2: Yeah, I would say I had um, something similar. My my recovery was I uh, think the the severity of my injuries were not as bad as yours, um, and my recovery was was a, a, a basically a year. But the worst part for me was kind of in the middle of the recovery before I had started back to work. And I'd like the word you termed the glacial pace of progress. And that was what I, um, you know, felt as well. And that's when I got the most frustration during my recovery was probably it was for me, it was probably three months in when, you know, early on in my recovery, I could see a difference like every day, you could see a difference and it was mm-hmm. enough Difference that it would motivate you to keep doing all the hard work that you had, you knew you had to do. But three months later, the, yeah, I couldn't see a difference day to day. Maybe week to week, I could see, you know, a difference on some. Like, I'll call it standardized tests. But they would do the therapist I was working with would do things and go, "You've made improvement this week and here and here and here." I'm like, "Oh, okay. I guess this is working." Um, but it was uh, mentally the most challenging for me in the middle of my recovery when. I knew I wasn't um, recovering, wasn't anywhere near where I wanted to be, and the pace of progress was super slow. And it took—that was when I had the the most um, feelings of frustration and the hardest time for me to get to get motivated. Um, now, I'd say the other the other place where I started, where I struggled, and where I learned a lot about <clears> this—you <throat> know what I talk about now—is your attitude and, and trying to be positive. it it was literally when I was writing the book about positivity and I suffered a a different kind of a setback and I was sad um, and uh, angry and I was experiencing these emotions and I'm sitting here I'm literally writing a book about positivity, feeling sad and and angry going, dude, what are you doing? You're Mr. Positivity. How could you be angry or sad or any of those things? You have to be positive. And so I would, push away these other emotions that I called them my negative emotions, Um, but they're not negative. I have to change the words. they're they're unpleasant, but they're, they have a purpose and they have a purpose with each of these. And I had to learn this lesson that each of these other emotions that we feel have a purpose and they help you um, cope with and sort through changes in your life and things that are going on in your life that, that need your attention and you'll, go through this range of emotions depending on where you are in dealing with these things but being positive isn't about not feeling sad or not feeling angry or these unpleasant emotions Um, but i would argue that it's not you you have to be careful not to get stuck in them either so there's there's a balance when you're going through that i'm not sure i have the perfect balance because i it was one of those things that i that i had to learn um through this process as, as well but being positive isn't just about um, being positive all the time. It's You really do have to, you can't ignore these these unpleasant emotions that are coming up in your life.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, to break it down to something practical, right, and, you know, uh, there's always something that's going to, you know, trigger. Maybe it's a memory of something painful. Maybe you're going through something that's causing us, you know, anger is caused by fear or frustration or physical or emotional pain, so but what I started doing, Steve, is actually thinking about, right, what is causing this, right? The way our brain works, there's a sequence of our, a thought leads to a feeling, leads to an action. And an action repeated over time leads to a habit. And I knew that I had to be moving forward in this positive direction, this hopeful Direction, and if I was feeling sad or down or angry, I'd look at you know what are the thoughts that are leading to that? How do how do I really want to be feeling right now? Because the question is, is when you're in that mode, you're taking actions, you're making decisions, you're talking, you're using words that are that are from that place. And the question was, I knew that that wasn't serving me well, also because where I was recovering it was a hospital that specialized in brain injury spinal cord injury and there was examples around me of people that were doing really well and thriving in the middle of this horrible mess people that were injured worse than I was but also people that were not injured as as bad as I was that were really not doing well they were not thriving they were just negative and bitter and I did have that comparison of like you know what that is what I not that is what I do not want yeah. And so how do I think about, you know, this is going to be happening, it's going to continue to happen as I heal, right? What are my thoughts, my feelings, and I, my actions? And how do I be aware of that and change that um, or, or share that with people around me to have them help me stay on a path that that keeps me, you know, in a positive direction, keeps me in a hopeful direction, and for me, that that was a big part. And my wife was amazing; she was a superstar in really facilitating it. And it sounds like your wife, you know, did the same mm-hmm. thing for you. And that's something we can do for other people, um, yeah. you know, in that area.
2: Yeah, I think that I think that's absolutely right. The way the way that um, I talk about it now with people, and um, uh, you know, is your attitude. Um, is something that you don't it, like. How optimistic or pessimistic you are, um, isn't something that you are stuck with. Whatever it is today, you have the ability to to change it. It's, and it's a it,
1: choice, right?
2: It's it, it's a choice, and it's what what psychologists and you can literally work it out like a muscle. Um, it, it's what psychologists call the positivity offset. We all have we're born with a negativity bias, and it's part of the brain that we're on the lookout for for negative things that are happening in our environment. You know, from an evolution standpoint, we're looking for saber-toothed tigers that could eat us. And it's none of those around anymore, but that part of our brain. the amygdala, those still there, searching for things in our environment that um, are perceived as a, as a threat. And so when that happens, we have, we have our minds are, are trained to look at that and notice those negative things. The positivity offset is what we can use in our frontal cortex that can counteract that. And for like everything else that we do, we can train our brains to be more positive. And just like you and I did <clears throat> with our um, with recovering from our brain injury, it's the, the scientific concept of neuroplasticity. Um, you can literally change the structure of your brain based on what you think over and over again. So, um, you know, if you are, Uh, training your brain to be more positive like one of the scientific studies showed that people that do a gratitude journal for seven days um, that gratitude journal for seven days builds their um, positivity circuits in their in their brain there's a difference in the MRIs from before and after in those positivity circuits just from doing that activity Um, and and neuroplasticity works for not just um, positivity Um, for recovering from brain injuries. You know, they've shown how powerful it is that people that play the violin have a bigger portion of their brain dedicated to their left hand than the right hand because the left hand is on the neck of the instrument and has very intricate movements. Taxi drivers in London have a bigger portion of their brain dedicated to spatial maps and other people in London. I mean, you literally change the physical structure of your brain based on what you think. And Mm. our attitudes are, are no different. Like the, the, the gratitude journal can change your, um, your positivity, um, change your optimism, again, what the psychologists call this positivity offset. <clears throat> and if you practice that, um, practice being positive, you will build up these circuits in your brain. And whether you are in a terrible situation or just preparing for the next terrible situation, you can build up that positivity offset by just simply practicing and so the next time you're, you're in that situation, your natural reaction will be more positive um, if you just simply practice. You know, and I, I've, I am, feel blessed that throughout my life, I, um, I've always been described as an optimistic person. Um, and I think unknowingly, I didn't study positivity or any of this stuff until I had the accident and the brain injury, and I want to know, was I going to recover? that was when I started learning about the brain. But what I um, didn't know that I was doing was just because I was positive and I was studying positive leadership books and doing things that um, I enjoyed and I was building up my positivity offset throughout my life. And when I had this accident, instead of having that, that feeling of feeling like a victim, you know, I had the, like, I was just, I was just, I had the natural positive reaction. Like, man, this is going to suck, but I'm, I know I can get through it. And this is my goal and this is where we're going. And so I didn't have that, that, you know, that negative mindset of this is terrible. And I just, you know, got, got stuck there. Like you saw some of those, some of those people. So, you well,
1: know, thank you for, for me, sharing... that was what I learned. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, one thing, you know, as, uh, as we wrap up here though, you had an interesting part of your story and you had a friend of yours, Henrietta, that was part of your recovery, <laughs> and I'd love for you to share that part of the story because I, I just think it's it's really cool. Yeah. So
2: um, I don't know who thinks of this, but um, Julie Gross is a good friend of our of our family. And when she heard I had that skiing accident, she mm-hmm. thought to herself, "Man, Steve needs Henrietta," and she packed up a giant three foot tall giant rubber chicken in a box and shipped it to us in in Denver. And Henrietta came, I got her on day four, um, and my wife pulled her out of the box and she honks when she's inflated, when she squeezes her. So she came out of this box and she pre inflated and went honk. And my wife opened her up outside of my field of view. I heard this honk. I'm like, what on earth are you doing? And she came around (laughs) in front of me, holding this giant rubber chicken in a purple polka dot bikini. And, and she's reading the card that came with it and says, this is Henrietta, the good luck chicken. And she's yours now. She's helped us through a lot of hard times and she's gonna help you through this. And I'm staring at Henrietta and looking at my wife, who's cracking up and I go on, okay, I guess I need a giant rubber chicken. I could promise you I wasn't in the mood for the giant rubber chicken. Um, but from that point forward, we displayed her prominently in the hospital room and she changed the mood of the hospital room like everybody who walked in the room after that would walk in kind of freeze in their tracks and go you have a giant rubber chicken in your room and we'd stop and laugh and we'd introduce Henrietta they'd squeeze her and then they'd go on about doing their thing but it changed the mood of the room it was no longer just this you know place of suffering and misery and, and hard work um, it was a place where there was also some, some positivity or some happiness as well so it really brought balance to the room. Well and, and it, I love the picture everything. of
1: you laying in your bed with your your <laughs> yes. intubated with your neck collar on, IVs everywhere, and you're <laughs> yeah. sound asleep and you have and you're holding your chicken. It's just <laughs> you know,
2: that was right after we got it. And uh, god, Oh my god. That's crazy. So oh.
1: Well but that's awesome. Fun. And
2: I still I still have Henrietta today. She I've I've hired her um and she's she's doing work for me now.
1: <laughs> well done. <laughs> Now, how do people connect with you? Now, your your website. I want people to go there if you want to hear people, you know, hear Steve speak. Uh, you know, read his book, his blog. Everything is just outstanding. What you've done, thank Steve. It's Steve you, H Lawton. So um, H is an hotel. So H L A W T O N dot com. How else do they connect with you, Steve?
2: Um, it's the same Steve H Lawton on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook. Uh, Twitter, and I think I also have Instagram as well. Okay. Um, so it's, and some of those, there's a period in there, but it, you should be able to find me with Steve H. Lawton.
1: And if you guys want to kind of get a kind of a, a some feedback on kind of where you're at with your mindset, your attitude, you can go to com forward slash quiz and you can, you can get a little bit of feedback from, from the work that Steve has done to, to kind of get a, uh, yeah. a, a level set of kind of where you're at and, you know, where you can go and he's got some great practical tools. And, you know, as we wrap up, Steve, what what are just some final thoughts you, you'd like to just share with our audience?
2: Yeah. So John, it's been an absolute pleasure um, talking to you and, and sharing our, our stories that are similar in so many ways. Um, it's been very motivating um, to me to just, to just talk to you. And I think the lesson um, for all of us is we, ha- we have no idea what life has in store for us, um, and we're going to go through suffering, trauma, pain, hopefully nothing like what you and I have went through, but no matter what it is, um, God is there um, teaching us something, something that we need to help us um, and to help those around us later on in our life. So um, just believe that God has a plan for you, and you're going through this for a reason, uh, and the reason will become clear to you later. And just have that attitude that you're um, willing to 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 do what's neat what what God is asking you to do.
1: Yeah, I, I really agree with that. And I think sometimes when you're in the middle of the the storm, yeah. right? A friend of right. mine said, You know what, John, you're gonna have a great Timoni. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, Oh yeah, your Timonis. He kept talking about Timoni over <laughs> timoni. and over. I was getting frustrated. I'm like, all right, hey. Paul, what is a testimony?" He goes, "You know a testimony." He goes, he goes, "But you know, so you need something before you can have a testimony, and that is a test." Oh, oh. Right? So you can't have a testimony unless you've had the test. And Ooh. it's your testimony that allows you to touch people, other people in a positive way. And for me, it's just like what you talked about, and sometimes in the middle of that test, it's hard to connect all the dots. God might not make sense. And I was challenged kind of going through the middle of it. Other times in my life that have been periods of adversity and hard time and say, you know, if you look at it in the past and in context, was this something? And, you know, it was just some of those little things for me that also just kept helping me move forward, knowing that even if I can't see it now, there is a reason. Some There are good things that are gonna come out of this. Uh, there is a path forward into something that might not be what I was expecting. It could be completely even better, but it's different. And sometimes it's that difference that that you get hung up on. and uh, and you know, just putting it in context that, you know what, that attitude, you know, po- positive attitude, that attitude of hope, I think was just so huge for me, my wife, and our family too, Steve. And I'm really glad that you took the time to come on, share it, share that. Because I know with our audience and how big it is, there's people right now, you know, going through their test, uh, or they have people in their world and their sphere of influence that are going through a test. And hopefully, this conversation will help them, or help them help somebody, just take those next steps forwards and into, you know, just dealing with it in a way that, you know, serves them. Love it, John. Well, thank you, my friend. You are awesome. And I sure appreciate what you're doing.
2: Thank you. I appreciate what you're doing
0: as well. Keep it up. Great work you're doing. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. In 1994, Bob Buford penned the book, Halftime, Moving from Success to Significance. And in the more than 20 years since then, more than three quarters of a million copies have been sold. It's touched baby boomers in the 90s, and it's now touching the lives of both Gen Xers who are in that midlife season asking, is this all there is, as well as baby boomers who are searching for significance in retirement to get a free copy of the book just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime and after you read it if you have any questions you can have a no obligation one hour of halftime coaching eternalleadership.com slash halftime you can't beat getting a free bestseller for john ramstead i'm steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to eternal leadership